Perhaps one of the greatest questions that people ask, and I think they ask this a lot, you will ask this from various points and from time to time, and it can be asked of something that's great, some profound thing, or it can be asked about a simple thing. And here it is. What is the point? What is the point? Or what is the meaning of all of this? What is the meaning of all of this? We ask that about the things that happen to us, and we ask that also about the existence of the entire universe. So we ask it on the micro level, personally, and we ask it on the macro. We ask it of the entire universe. Let's look at the macro just for a second. The the atheist or the ardent agnostic may skirt around the question when asked, but the, the, the question of what is the point, what is the meaning, what is the point to the universe? But the reality is this, without God, without a creator, there is no meaning or purpose to the universe. And therefore it follows that if there is no meaning or purpose to the universe, there is no meaning or purpose to your life or to my life. This is the logical conclusion of atheism. And atheists who are willing to be intellectually honest with themselves come to the same conclusion. I'm not voicing a conclusion that, oh, some theistic point and blah, 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 we're going to really hammer down. No, no, no. Honest atheists down through history have written great works of literature that have come to the same point and you end up with what some of the 18th century philosophers call nihilism, which means there's no point to it. There's no meaning. Well, people today might say, well, we give ourselves meaning. We give ourselves purpose. We, we assign a meaning to our lives. And here's, okay, so I want to break it down for you so that we can show you that that actually ultimately is meaningless, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself a meaning. I'm going to give myself a purpose. Here, think about it. If there is no transcendent God who created the heavens and the earth, then there is no reason or purpose to its existence and any meaning or purpose that we assign to the universe or our lives can only be subjective and not objective. So in other words, there's no objective purpose or meaning. And if there is no God and no meaning and purpose, what difference would it make if the whole world right now, just collapsed in on itself and disappeared back into a singularity and everything was gone, okay? So if you went to school, you learned about the singularity and the moment that the universe came into existence. What I'm suggesting tonight is to think about if the reverse happened right now, what would any of our lives have mattered what would anything have happened? The whole the thing, thing was so the thing that was so important to you last week. The thing that's so important that you're believing God for. Uh, what difference would it make if there's no God? If there's no meaning or purpose to the universe? The answer to the question is that there wouldn't be a difference. We would have all just been erased into nothingness, not even history. You can't even say, you know, we wouldn't be erased into history. We would literally be erased into nothingness. But if there is a God, 
a God who created the world and has a plan to reproduce his likeness in the world through human beings, made as his image and redeemed and transformed to the likeness of his son Jesus, then there is tremendous meaning and purpose in this world and in each one of our lives. Amen? Amen. We see this meaning and purpose, we'll see it tonight, in the blue robe of the high priest, the blue robe of the ephod. We've been talking about the garments of the high priest of Israel and how these garments, these items of his fashion made powerful statements about the purpose, character, work, and love of Jesus who became our perfect high priest. Tonight we're going to look at meaning and purpose and where that comes from and we will look at how God, through Christ our high priest, equips us with what we need in our lives to fulfill that meaning and purpose that he has given us. Amen? So let's look at this and allow God to speak to us tonight. And I believe that tonight God's going to speak very specifically and perhaps differently as we go through this and some of these things are said and spoken. So let's look at Exodus 28. Let's pick it up, verse 31. It says this. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening for his head, speaking of the high priest, in the middle of it. It shall be a, of a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening in a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. And upon its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out that he may not die. The blue robe, this is what we're talking about tonight. The blue robe was worn under the ephod. If you've been paying attention, how many have been pay, paying attention? Yes. All right. If you've been paying attention, we've been talking about these garments of the high priest. We talked about the ephod, and then we talked about the breastplate. I don't know why, particularly, the, and the you know, I think God's working, working us to the, to the foundation of it all here in this chapter. Because if you look at the ephod, the ephod was something that would go over top the blue robe. So the, he would put the blue robe on, then you'd have the ephod, which was basically kind of like this apron that would go on top that had straps. Remember, it had the onyx stones on the shoulders. And then attaching to the ephod, which would be over the blue robe, then you had the breastplate. And we talked about that, the 12 stones on the front of it, the folded square where there was the pocket. Inside that pocket were the Urim and the Thummim. And what a powerful teaching on that, the Urimum Thummim, learning to inquire of the Lord and inquire of his perfections for our lives. So we come back to the foundation of this whole garment, this whole robe, if you will, and we come down to the foundation of it, and it is this blue robe. The blue robe symbolizes Jesus Christ, the heavenly one. You will remember as we've studied this and going back to the tabernacle, we, we talked about all of the, the blue, anytime that there was blue, it, it spoke of, of heaven. 
And so blue, when you look at everything to do with the tabernacle and now specifically with the, the garments of the high priest, blue speaks of heaven. It's kind of like blue is the color of the sky, and so it was easy to uh, think of, of that in that sense. So you had a high priest that had a, that, that was from heaven, that was, had a heavenly purpose. This is the idea of the priesthood. Remember, the priest would represent God to the people, and he would represent the people to God. And ultimately, all of this is pointing forward to the point, to the, that, that point when one day that Jesus Christ would become our high priest. And so the blue robe speaks to us of heaven. It speaks to us of having that foundation and that purpose and that meaning. Now, when you look at the life of Christ, Jesus had an earthly ministry of only about three and a half years. So you, you look at men and you look at um, uh, women that have had these ministries and you know for decades and decades and decades, and you look at Jesus, Jesus was, in fact, we don't even have any storyline of Jesus from the time he was 12 years old till the time he was 30. We just know that he worked for his father as a carpenter. And, uh, you know, Mel Gibson inserted that, se- that couple scenes in there in The Passion of the Christ, right. which I thought were great. I love those scenes where he's working and building the table and the, it was kind of a high table and chairs. He says, who's it for? A rich man. And you remember the scene? And, uh, but, we, but we, biblically, textually, we don't have anything from the time he was 12 to the time he was 30. And then, we, and then he comes on the scene and he begins his ministry, and then we have Jesus there for three and a half years. So this three and a half year window of time. Uh, and so, but look at all that he did. Look at all that Jesus did and said and preached and taught and ministered and touched people's lives and called them to follow him and went to the cross and died and was buried and resurrected and met with the disciples again and ascended into heaven and accomplished this whole work of redemption. And he did all this in three and a half years. Wow. So it kind of begs the question, how could Jesus accomplish so much in a three and a half year period of time? And it's because he knew who he was. He knew where he was from and where he was going to, amen? He was, in that sense, heavenly-minded. You've heard it said, he's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. Have you heard that phrase? Jesus would say, you can't be any earthly good unless you are heavenly-minded. I kind of put those words into Jesus' mouth, but he, I believe he would say something like that. You, you can't really do the good that God has intended and that he has for you to do unless you have that heavenly mindset in that sense. And by heavenly-minded, I mean focused on and motivated by the purpose of God and the values of heaven. And just as the high priest was called to that and Jesus lived that perfectly, we're also called to that, amen? He calls us 
as he's called us into the priesthood. Amen, Christian? Our high priest has called you into the priesthood, a priesthood, a royal priesthood of all believers. Amen? And as you've been called into that priesthood, you've been called to realize the purpose of heaven that he has for you, the purpose and the meaning, and, and, and also having the values of heaven. Jesus' mindset was, was constantly on heaven in that sense. He was focused on what he was doing on the earth. He was very focused. And he had a very, very specific understanding of what he was doing, when things were to happen, when it was the time, when it wasn't the time. And he, and he had all that. Why? Because he was just in tune with heaven. Amen? He saw his purpose as doing the Father's will, of doing whatever the Father showed him to do. In fact, he said that many, many times. He says, I only do what the Father shows me to do. I only do what the Father gives me to do. I and my Father are one. I do the will. I have come to do the will of the one who has sent me. He, he was he, repeatedly making these types of statements. He saw, again, he saw his purpose as doing the Father's will. And that's what we're called to, amen, as Christians. We're called to do the will of the Father. He has a will. He has a purpose. He has a, there is a, there is a, a, a reason why God made the universe. There's a reason why he made you. He is making a family. He is making a spiritual family, and he's bringing you into it. And he has got some amazing things in store for his family as he brings this whole thing to a culmination. And we see how that all plays out in the book of Revelation. But until then, we are fulfilling a, a specific role. We have a purpose and a meaning to, to, to be here on the earth. We're made in the image as the image of God to be his representatives, to represent him, to, to, to be those priests that would represent him and his character and his love. And, and in order to do that, we need to take a cue from our high priest. We need to take a look tonight at that blue robe and, and that, 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 that sky of heaven and say, God has called us to realize where we're born from. Amen? Because you know that's what it means to be born again. When Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. In the Greek, it's actually, you can be born again, but it's also born from above. You're born from heaven. You're born according to the will of the Father. You have come into the kingdom of God. You've come into the family of God. You are one of the holy ones of God in his family because of his will, because of his will. And we've got to see that. So tonight, we need to really see that blue robe. We really need to see the purpose of heaven. We really need to see the meaning and the things that God is doing. There's an interesting passage at the very end of Jesus' ministry. In fact, the, the scene takes place at, at what we call the Last Supper. And it was the time, it was that time that Jesus ate the Passover meal with his disciples. And and of course, that night after that, after he got up from that, that meal and he went out, that's the time that they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. They prayed in the garden and he was, he was arrested and taken into custody. So before that, as he was celebrating the Passover meal, the, Passover, the feast of Passover with his disciples, I want to draw you a, your attention to a, a specific 
verse of Scripture that shows us these principles that we're looking at tonight very clearly. It's, it's John 13, 3. And I'll have, I'll have the verse up on the screen behind me. It said this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. Now we're not going to read the rest of the passage, but the rest of John 13 in that section talks about he took a towel and girded himself to do what? To wash the disciples' feet, right? So look at what this verse is is showing us. Leave it up there. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, went, girded himself, and went and served the disciples and washed their feet. He did this incredible act of servanthood. And I think John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, showed us here in this verse what what the basis of Jesus' ministry was, what the focus and meaning of it was. And it was this, that he knew who he was. He knew where he was from and where he was going. And that gave him the clarity. That gave him the focus. That gave him that understanding and that desire and that will to do the things that he did. Think about Jesus, what he did when he washed the disciples' feet. I mean, to wash the disciples' feet, in fact, some of the disciples said, you know, no, you will never wash my feet. Why? Because it was, it was one of the most humbling things that you could do. I mean, it was the lowest of the lowest of the low jobs, you know? It was like the job where, you know, you got somebody cleaning out the, you know, I don't know, Don's Johns or something, or, you know, something like that. You watch, uh, you know, Undercover Boss or whatever, you know? And, 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 and can you imagine the boss having to get in there? And yeah, they go and do this stuff. And here was the boss of heaven. John started off his gospel saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that he made all things. And that he he became flesh and put on flesh and dwelt among men. And then here in the same gospel, the boss of heaven is down taking on the lowest job that there was. It's undercover boss. But he knew. He knew who he was. He knew where he was from and he knew where he was going. He got up from supper, put on a towel, washed the disciples' feet. Well, that's a great high priest. That's a great high priest. I mean, he washed the disciples' feet. It was an incredible thing, and it spoke very powerfully to the disciples, and it should speak very powerfully to us and teach us about a perspective that we need to have. Sometimes we get into a bad thinking in our lives as Christians because we are part of another kingdom and we've been called to be the, the, these, you know, we've been called out of the world. We're the church, we're the ecclesia, amen? And so we've been called out of the world and we're a part of another kingdom and another family and all this and yet we're living in this world and so sometimes 
those, those worlds collide. And so we need, we need this understanding daily to kind of keep us with the right perspective mm-hmm. and the right mindset. Now, I remember when, and, and, and it, can be, it can be hard. <laughs> Let's be honest. We live in 2019 United States of America, people. We have, we are among the richest people that have lived on the face of the earth, historically and even now. Historically, across the, I don't know, five, 6,000 years of human history, and even today, if you make, I did the study years ago, and everybody talks to the top, top 1%, but I mean, if you make over like, if your household income is like over 30, 40,000, you're in the top 10, 10 or 15% of the richest people of, of the whole earth. You know, so, so we're living in an unbelievable time to be alive. And, it, and it's very difficult sometimes to keep that perspective on our lives. When I was, um, years ago, remember Hurricane Katrina, when that thing hit and uh, went up into New Orleans and, and uh, that whole thing and just devastated that whole area. Our church in, um, in Orlando, at the time there was a few of us that, we had a guy that, that had a real, he had a, he was a realtor, broker, and he had this uh, box truck, and he came up to me after the service, and I, he says, I want to I wanna fill up my truck, and I want to drive it to, to New Orleans, and I said, okay, and so we put together this little team, and we, we went up and ministered. We drove up, up there with all these things in, in his truck, and, and then we, we did some ministry. We did some serving, and we stayed in a place called Gulfport, Mississippi, and we went to Biloxi, and, and uh, it, yeah, th- this, you know, it, it was hot, right? I know what you're thinking. <laughs> it, was, it was Africa hot, kind of how it is right now in this room, okay? That's how, that's how it was in, in Biloxi. And I remember we were going around Biloxi, and it was, it was like blow your mind type of stuff. We were going down some roads, and you just saw one, one of the things that I saw, I mean, you saw homes just devastated and boards and just, just complete mess. And one of the, the images that I'll never forget in my mind, we're driving down the street and there was uh, three steps, it was the front steps to a house and nothing else there. <laughs> it was gone. There was no house, no nothing. The only thing left were the front three steps. And... Um, and this was kind of a, you know, it, it was kind of a, a moment in time, a, a, a picture that kind of crystallizes this idea that, that you know, this physical world and this physical stuff is, is just temporal stuff. I mean, it can be blown away in a storm in a, in a, in a minute, and it's going to be gone anyways uh, in the long run, just give, you know, whatever, you know, I've, I've, I've said this before, just whatever you go and buy at the store, just realize one day someone's going to be taking it to the dump. Because <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you ever have to visit the dump, which I do regularly, and I see people dumping all this stuff out into the dump, and I think, well, when you go get that new thing, just realize, just give it a few years, somebody will be at the dump somewhere. And the, and the mountain, I don't know what you call it over here, Mount Melbourne, over here on, on Sarno Road, I don't know how high that thing's going to be in 20 years. Um, 
But it's just kind of that picture that this, the stuff is temporal. The stuff is temporal and heaven is eternal and what God's doing and what his purpose is and what the meaning of our lives is, is eternal. And we need to realize that and we need to, we need to really focus on this blue robe. Amen? Amen. This is why we need the meaning and purpose from God. That's why the, 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 the meaning and purpose that anyone can assign to us. I mean, and it may be, there may be some, oh, well, that's great. That's great. That's great. But, but anything short of having the meaning and purpose of God is to miss out on what God has for us. And we, we need to be a part of that. We need to be reminded. And, and it's why we need a heavenly mindset because that's where we're headed. And we want to see those around us in heaven. And you realize that, you know? I don't think anybody, any of us are gonna be clamoring for you know, in the last minute, you know, grabbing for like some type of item. You know, we're not going to be grabbing for gold bars or, you know, anything in the last minute before we're out of here, either by rapture or by second coming or by death. We're not going to be grabbing at that. We're going to be realizing in that moment how valuable are the things of eternity. Amen, the things of heaven. And what's value? What's of value? We've learned that when we looked at the, the breastplate. The gems on the breastplate, the precious stones on the breastplate are what are gonna make it through the testing of fire. And the precious stones are people's lives. Amen? Right. People's lives. And that's why we need to be reminded of that tonight. It's so important. The only thing that lasts forever that lasts forever are precious stones, the precious redeemed and saved men and women and boys and girls of the family of God, amen? And so we need to, we need to be so understanding of the purpose of heaven that we become just bold in our purpose, in our meaning. We need to speak boldly. We need to be givers. We need to be compassionate. We need to to look to those around us and see how we might be able to impact those around us. Amen? It, and I said this a couple weeks ago. We work with stuff of the temporal. I know that some of you work, that's your work. And it's, I have a business too, so I get it. I, I sell mattresses and then I throw out people dirty old mattresses, okay? So this is what I do, all right? I understand the new and the old and everything in between and it's all gonna go to the dump anyway someday. So, but, but all those things are a means to an end and a way to be bold for the kingdom of heaven. I, I, got, I got a couple more points we gotta get to but I, I just feel led of the spirit just to share this because I had a customer in my shop this week and very interesting, um, they, made, they made an appointment. I do everything by making an appointment and so I met them, and when they got there, we said, oh, yeah, we, we were here a couple years ago, and we got some stuff from you, and you, you, were, you, uh, you, know, you always take good care of us. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll take good care of you. And, uh, and so, they, so they picked out a, a, another mattress and everything. We got over to the desk, and, and she said to me, older woman and, uh, with, her, with her son, and uh, she said, I remember something. I remember you were an interesting person. You know, what was that? And she saw I had these little... Uh, coasters on my desk from the from the Boston subway, 
And so one says Harvard and one says Kenmore stop. And, and she said, what was that? And she thought maybe I had gone to Harvard or something. No, I, I hadn't gone to Harvard, but I'm a pastor. She says, oh yeah, I remember. I remember you were, in her. she says, well, I'm a Methodist Buddhist atheist. <laughs> That's what she told me. So in other words, she grew up Methodist, she became a Buddhist, and, and, and if you're a real Buddhist, you're an atheist because Buddhism doesn't have a God. So this is what she's telling me, right? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, wow. This is, this is a Methodist Buddhist. So would you, I don't know what came over me, but I went into like, I just started speaking all kinds of stuff. I recited the Kalam cosmological argument to them. She looked over at her son. She said, this is interesting stuff. Are you listening to this? She asked me all kinds of questions. Some of it were, went kind of a, a weird road. She said, well, where's your church? I, w- I was actually thinking she might come here tonight. I-, I came here tonight thinking she might have shown up. She didn't. She didn't come. Are she here? No, she's not. <laughs> but... Right when I left, right when she left, I went and I have a box of the books in my trunk, and I had already said goodbye to him and all that good stuff, and and it, something said to me like, you know, it was God, yeah. saying, go give him, give her a book, give her a book. So I went over and right before she pulled away. I tapped on the on the window. I said, hold on, hold on, I want to give you something. She's like, oh, okay. So I go over to my car, get the book out of the thing. I said, I want to give you this, this, this book. It's, this is my book. I wrote this book. She's like, oh, will you sign it? So I took it back into the shop and signed it for him and gave it to him. And this is realizing, you know, you don't know, and I don't know what's going to come of that. Here's a Methodist, Bo- Bo- a Methodist Buddhist atheist. I don't know what's going to become of that. I know she has built up tremendous walls all the way around. I didn't feel like that they were that <laughs> well you know, put up, but there were walls. And who knows what God's going to do? Who knows what God's going to do? But realizing that it's more than about the immediate thing that you're doing. There's a bigger picture happening and God's on the move and God's doing stuff. Amen? So with this meaning and purpose in mind with the blue robe, there were some other things that I want to talk to you about in this passage, and they talk about us being equipped for the cause of Christ in the purpose and the meaning that we have. Amen? And so I want to go back to the text in Exodus 28. It says, uh, you shall make the blue robe of the ephod, or make the robe of the ephod all blue, and there shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it, and it shall be woven binding all around its opening, like the opening in a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. Verse 33, and upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around and it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out that he may not die. So the question is, we've got the blue robe, we've got the heavenly mindset, we've got the, the meaning and purpose of heaven. We realize that we look at our high priest who knew who he was, knew where he was from, knew where he was headed, and that was what positioned him strategically to be able to get up from a meal and go and wash the disciples' feet. 
And then we look at now this blue robe has pomegranates and bells on the hem all the way around the bottom of the hem. Moses was instructed to have golden bells, replica pomegranates. Okay, so these weren't real pomegranates. They weren't like dried, <laughs> dried pomegranates or like, you know, raisined up pomegranates. <laughs> you know, they were replica. They were made to, to, to be replicas of pomegranates. So you had pomegranates and bells, and they would circle the hem of the blue robe. And the bells would ring and that was heard while the high priest ministered inside the tabernacle in the holy place, in the Holy of Holies. Christian, Jesus gives you the pomegranates and the gold bells of the blue robe. Let me say that again. Jesus gives you, Christian, the pomegranates and the blue and the, and the gold bells of the blue robe. And you're saying, what? What am I going to do with pomegranates and gold bells? Pomegranates and bells. Pomegranates are an interesting fruit. Pomegranates have many more seeds than the average fruit, and its seeds are, are in a, this center area with a, that actually kind of, there's a crimson liquid that comes out of the center with all these seeds. Commentator John Corson actually had this to say about pomegranates and the blood of Jesus. Quote, on the cross, Jesus shed his blood in order that his spirit might bear fruit, might bear much fruit through seeds like you and me. The blood of Christ, like that crimson juice in the center of the, the, the pomegranate, produces many seeds. Through the love of Christ, many have come to life. Through the blood of Christ and the blood that he shed, many have come to life and become the seeds like these seeds of this pomegranate. Now, specifically, what does the pomegranate represent? It's a fruit, right? So the pomegranate represents the fruit of the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. So God wants to give you, if you're going to live for Christ and his kingdom with the meaning and purpose of heaven, with that blue robe in place, you're going to need the fruit of the Spirit in order to do that. Amen? And so you need the fruit of the Spirit. Paul outlines the fruit of the Spirit in a, in a chapter in the Bible, Galatians chapter 5. Beginning at verse 22, verse 22 and 23, he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is, you'll see it on the screen, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Verse 22 starts with a but. That's because the previous verses, the preceding verses, he talks about the works of the flesh. In chapter 5 of Galatians, he contrasts the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Right. See, the flesh works, the Spirit produces fruit. Amen? Yes. And we need, in order to live a life in the Spirit and not walk in the works of the flesh, we need the fruit of the Spirit yes. in our lives. Amen? Now, one of the things that's interesting about this verse is the word fruit there is singular. And so some have suggested, when you look at it, like the fruit of the Spirit is, and so you have all these different types of fruit, right? Some commentators have suggested, because the fruit being singular, that the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and that the other words are just basically descriptors of love. 
and the type of love that, that, that the fruit of the Spirit is, which is the agape, okay? So when it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, that's the fruit of the Spirit is agape, which is God's love, which is that perfect love that God wants to grow in your life. And if he's growing his love in your life, you're going to be better suited to have a focus on the meaning and purpose that God has given you in your life. Amen? And so you need the fruit of the Spirit. Let me, let me ask you a question. Is your life character, characterized by love? Can you characterize your life by love? Now, I'm not asking for any hands or whatever, but you, you have to examine your life and you have to look at it. And, and, and by that I mean, is the fruit of the Spirit, is that being cultivated in your life? Or, or are there other things that are kind of crowding out the growth of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? You know, you look at Psalm 1, where we're supposed to be a tree, right? The righteous are compared to a tree. The, 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 the life without Christ is like grass, Right? That grows up in the morning, gets mowed down in the afternoon, right? I saw it this, this afternoon. People in my neighborhood were blowing the grass clippings they just got. They're dead and gone. The life of the believer is not the grass that withers and fades, but it's a mighty tree that's planted by a river that becomes something that is mighty and awesome and produces fruit, and its, its, its leaves do not even wither. It becomes prosperous and successful in what it is put there to, to do and to accomplish. And so we've got to allow the, the, the love of God to grow into our lives. And so we look for the love of, of God. One of the things you can look at and look at your reaction to stuff, look at your reaction to people, look at your reaction, your interactions with the people around you and ask yourself this basic question. Am I interacting in the agape of God? Is the agape of God that which is self-evident in my life when I'm talking to people, when I'm reacting, when I'm, when I'm, even if it's something that maybe it's a situation that I'm not even comfortable with or whatever, am I operating in the love of God? Do I have joy? Do I have peace in my life? Am I coming from that place of solidly just in, with peace? And Paul talks about it in the epistles, a peace that passes all understanding. This is what God does in our lives, a long-suffering, a kindness, which is a love in action, a goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, against such there is no law. You need to allow the fruit of the Spirit to flourish in your life. So you have the pomegranate that speaks to us of that fruit of the Spirit. Amen? But then we have the golden bell. The golden bell. A golden bell was placed between every pomegranate. So you just didn't have bells or just pomegranates. It was a, it's specifically there in verse 34, it said a pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate, a bell, to give you the idea of how this was to be made. The, bell had a the bells had a purpose. On Yom Kippur, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, through the veil to make the atonement for the people's sins, if he was defiled, there was, there was a chance that if he was not, if he, if he brought, and you learn this in Leviticus and other places, if you brought some type of a strange fire and the high priest's sons, a couple of them got zapped, <laughs> okay? 
We don't have time to get into that tonight, but it was a very careful thing that you had to... And so the bells would create this, this ringing of the bells as they kind of boinked against the, 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 the pomegranates. And as long as you heard those bells, you knew one thing. You knew that the high priest was alive, right? You knew he was in there doing his job. And so this was the thing. The pomegranates separated the bells to create a harmonious sound, and the sound signified that the high priest was alive. He was not dead. Now, Jesus is our high priest, and he is alive. Amen? In Revelation, it says he, he, he was once dead, but now he's alive. The question is, how do we know that he's alive? Other than looking at the evidence, this, I'm not looking at like, you know, to get into the evidence for the resurrection, although that's a great topic. But there's a way to look at it just in terms of what's happening in the world that we can know that Jesus is alive. By looking at the bells ringing and the pomegranates flourishing. Amen? We can look and see that our high priest is alive. The bells represent the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The pomegranate, the fruit of the Spirit. The bell, the gift of the Spirit. The, gift of the, the gifts of the Spirit are manifested in the lives of believers. So we look out into the world and do we see the love of God and do we see the gifts of the Holy Spirit working in and through the lives of of his body, the church? Do we see a vibrant work of the church happening across the world? And, and by virtue of being able to look at that and seeing what Jesus has done in and through his body, the church, over the last 2,000 years, we can look at it and we can say, Jesus is alive and well. Amen? The blue robe, the pomegranates, the golden bells. The gifts of the Spirit point to the fact that Jesus is alive and ministering to us and in and through us. Amen? Now, the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are found in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. And I'm going to put that list up on the screen. We don't have time. You could do a whole 14-week series on this, right? But I'm just going to look at these real quick. Words of knowledge words of wisdom, teaching, faith, gifts of healing, gift of miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, helps, exhortation or encouragement, leading, mercy, evangelism, tongues, and interpretation, which are two separate gifts. So you have this list of the gifts of the Spirit we need to look at that, that list. We need to know that we have the fruit of the Spirit. We need to know that the fruit of the Spirit is flourishing in our lives. But God not only wants you to have the fruit of the Spirit, he also wants, the, the, there's a passage where it talks about him giving gifts. When you came into the family of God, when you were born into the family, when you were baptized, by the Spirit into the family, into the church, you were given gifts. You were given a gift. And just because maybe you don't have certain ones of these gifts, you say, I don't have, let's say you don't have the gift of healing, okay? 
That doesn't mean we can still operate in, in praying for healing. You say, well, I don't have specifically the gift of exhortation. Well, you, you can be encouraged to, to encourage people and exhort people in, in the body and, and, and to good things. Amen? And so, but, we, but it would be a good exercise for you to look at your life and look at what specifically Christ has given you as a gift of his spirit. Because we need to, we need to know that because he's equipped us with that. He's given that to us so that we can use that gift in this world today. And that all goes to the fact that Jesus is alive and he's wanting to do, he has a purpose and a meaning. And so sometimes we went, well, what's the purpose? What's the meaning? What's going on in my life? Well, we got to realize, oh, look at this, what we've talked about tonight. And if we, we understand this, we'll better know and we'll be better being able to be used moment by moment, day by day in the meaning and the purpose of God in the world. Amen. Sometimes people feel like, well, I'm not being used, or how can I be used? And you can be used in an incredible way. Yeah, you could, you know, sometimes there's always the people that want to, you know, pursue, you know, upfront ministry, and that, you know, certainly is a, is a wonderful calling, and, you know, you talk to other people that in the ministry, well, I've been trying to get out of the ministry. <laughs> you know, you have all this new group of people, I want to be in the ministry, and you got a bunch of other people, I'm trying to get out of the ministry. I had a friend, I had a pastor who he thought the Lord was done with him. He was ready to be done. He thought, I, 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 I can see my way out. I can see I've got it. I got it all planned out. And then <laughs> you have to know my, my friend. He's a friend of mine up in Virginia. And, uh, he, and I'm not going to do justice to the way they said this. But anyways, God gave God, uh, another church gave them the, the, his church, their building, this whole big church building. He says, oh, I thought I was out. <laughs> Just like that, he thought he was out, but no, he was back in. He's back in the ministry, and Jesus isn't done with him yet. Amen? And Jesus isn't done with you, and so you got to really take a look at your life and realize what the gift of the Spirit that God has for you. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discernment. Man, we need all of these things happening all the time. Now, when you talk about the gifts of the Spirit, if you grow up in certain circles, you, you, everyone wants to talk about those last two on the list that I read, right? Tongues and interpretation, tongues and interpretation. There's a whole list of stuff. And in fact, if you read the passages of Scripture where Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, those chapters that we actually have that tell us about those specific gifts of tongues and interpretation are actually corrective and kind of trying, Paul trying, to put those into their proper place right. within the body and, and asking people if they would seek out the other gifts and seek out other things and, 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 and honestly, to be quite honest, not be so focused on those things. That Those things have a purpose. There is a purpose. But look at the list. Look at the list. Seek out those things that, got, that, that, my goodness, a gift of healing, a gift of miracles, prophecy helps helping people, encouraging people, exhorting people in the, in, 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 to good things, mm -hmm. leading, mercy, specifically giving mercy and evangelism, all these things. So you had a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell. So <clears throat> what about this 
design feature of the blue robe. What is the, what's going on here? Well, if you had only bells, it would just be just bells just clashing into one another, right? If you had fruit, only the fruit, you wouldn't have the bells ringing, so you wouldn't know that Jesus is alive. You wouldn't see the, the manifest work of God through his body, through his church in the world. So you needed the pomegranates and the bells, and you needed it built that way, made that way, hemmed into the hem, the pomegranate, the bell, the pomegranate, the bell. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote on the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians, you have two chapters, really, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, where he's dealing with those two in those two chapters, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right in the middle, chapter 13, is the chapter on the agape of God. It's called the love chapter. It's the, it's the pomegranate. Let me call it that tonight. The pomegranate chapter. You got the bell, pomegranate, bell. Wow. You got, so what was he saying? He's saying, in, in, in the first part of, 1 Corinthians 13, he literally says, if you have all these gifts, if you can discern things, if you give all your things away to the poor, if you give your body to be burned in the fire for the, you know, I'm giving my life up to the, and he says, but you don't have love. He says, you, you have nothing and you're nothing but a clanging symbol. Just bells bouncing off of one another. And whenever you have cymbals, now cymbals, I'm a drummer, my son's a drummer, there's drummers. In fact, when I, my, my, not my first car, but my second car, went to Bible college, didn't have a car. We went, I went to Lakeland. We had an aunt that lived here in Cocoa. We went over here. This is in 1988. My dad went by Lincoln, Island Lincoln Mercury, right over here. Seriously, I just, true story. Went by Island Lincoln Mercury. He walked in there and he said, do you have anything that's so bad that you're not even going to put it on your, on your on, on, uh, you know, you're just trying to get rid of it, you know? And they're like, oh yeah, I think we've got something like that. <laughs> we get that thing. That's what I had, you know, to ride around college, you know? So I was, I was just humbled. I was just, I went into Bible college just humbled with a, with a gold a really bad paint job of a gold 1978 AMC Concord. Okay? Now, if you remember AMCs, I re raise your hand if you remember AMCs, all right? Some of you are too young to remember the AMCs. I'll just refresh your memory. One of their models was called the Pacer. It was, it was a fishbowl on wheels, okay? If you've ever seen the movie Wayne's World, this is the... He had the AMC Pacer with the Twizzlers. The, he rolled Twizzlers up into the light, and he just pulled down himself a little. Anyways, he had it dialed in. And, uh, but I didn't have the Pacer or the Gremlin. Who, whoever came up with the name? Who, can you imagine the AMC Corporation? Now, what should we call our car? How about a Gremlin? <laughs> you know. Okay. So I had a Concorde. My dad went to get me a, a vanity plate. And he could, I don't know what happened, but he didn't get me anything that said drums on it. 
I guess all that was taken. Couldn't get anything drums. So he got me cymbals. So I rode around with this gold AMC Concord 78, you know, with the license plate cymbals. It looked like a cymbal. It looked like an old rusty cymbal, you know, just driving it around. The only saving grace with this thing, and I'm going to make you guys feel, I don't know how, how this will make you feel right now because we're all kind of hot and sweaty. It had an ice cold air conditioning unit in that thing. It was so cold that you could just literally like frost. Would, you know, <laughs> we would drive over to Clearwater Beach and literally frost would be coming off of our earlobes. Why, why, why am I telling you all this? Symbols. You can't have clanging symbols. The symbols have got to be played right. And how they're played right in the body of Christ is when you have the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And you need, each of us need that pomegranate and a bell. We each need one. We each need a pomegranate and a bell. We need the fruit of the Spirit. We need the gifts of the Spirit. And when we function like that, and we function together, we get up next to, make sure your bell is next to somebody else's pomegranate, okay? <laughs> if it's too, if, 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 if something's like friction or whatever, you might have two cymbals clashing. You might have two bells clashing. You might want to turn around, face the other direction. But you, you get the picture. We need what God has given to us. And if we're looking at these things and having these things functioning in our lives, we better live and breathe and understand the meaning and purpose that God has for us in our lives and the meaning and purpose of the kingdom and the universe and the family of holy ones that God is building and bringing together from every tribe and nation and every tongue under heaven from across the earth, he's bringing together in one body, in one body, the church of Jesus Christ.